Welcome to this episode of Safe Home Podcast for struggling teens and their families finding their healing path. I am Beth Syverson, a mom of an 18-year-old son, Joey, who's been dealing with addiction and mental health issues for several years. I am walking beside him as he struggles with his recovery while I work on my own personal growth and healing. Today's guest is Larray Gerald, an adoptee, an intuitive, a kundalini yoga instructor, and a writer. Larray hopes to help others heal their trauma, adopted or not, by sharing her lived experiences as an adoptee, as well as her education in breathwork, energy healing, and natural intuitive abilities. Welcome to Safe Home Larray. Hi, thank you. Great to have you. I met Larray through Emma Stevens, who was a previous guest talking about EMDR. She's also an adoptee. So the adoptive world is is pretty small. <laughs> so I'm starting to get to know a lot of different adop- adoptees and I am committed to helping adoptees voices be raised and help the world understand about adoption trauma and and things like that. So, and I'm sure most of you know that I adopted our son, Joey, when he was a baby and I am an adoptive parent, but I am dedicated to helping our adopted kids and adopted adults find healing from their trauma, from the whole adoption process, which is not just rainbows and unicorns, right? (laughs) Right, right. And we have to have those difficult conversations. We just mentioned that to each other, that we heal in community and I'm living proof that, you know, not talking about it doesn't fix anything. Ah, Did you go for a while not talking about your adoption trauma or not knowing about it? Maybe I didn't really connect it. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's because we're told it's not, we're told it's the unicorns and it's everything beautiful and, and uh, not to sound Uh, shaming or judging in any way, shape or form. But my adoptive parents would say things like, we love you. Don't you know we love you? And as a child, and you're sitting there having feelings that you're not sure what they are exactly. Mm -hmm. And you hear that you're like, well, I I guess I can't have any other feeling because I'm loved. So that means and, and you can see it in their faces that it would hurt them to talk mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. So you can't. And you literally just stick everything inside until much, much, much later. And here I am in my 50s. Yeah. Finally getting to talk about it. Oh, well, let's go back. And how old were you when you're adopted? Let's hear your adoption okay. story. Well, I was an infant. I'm a baby scoop era adoptee, domestic, same race. Can you explain what baby scoop is for those that don't know? I believe it was from the 40s to 70s, some people say 80s. And basically it was a time pre-Roe, pre-73 was most of it. It's Some people say it still went on after that. But uh, when the adoption industry sold the narrative that babies were blank slates and, you know, mothers that were unwed or, you know, single mothers, that's, you, you couldn't, you couldn't have children. So they would rush them off and, you know, in privacy or sometimes coerced or sometimes forcefully, uh, and their children were taken. A lot of their children were just taken from them. Yeah. So that's the scoop part, right? <laughs> yeah. The scoop. Uh, and, it, like, and because of pre-row, they didn't have options. So they were forced births. Yeah, yes. And so most of those mothers experienced lots of trauma themselves. 
some could speak of it and some can't, just like some adoptees yeah. can and some yeah. can't. Yeah, there's so much trauma on that side too, man. Right, yes, on both sides. Yes. And again, like I said, a lot of it was a forced or coerced. Yeah, a lot of them were young or, mm-hmm. you know, their family was like taking care of them. And yeah, they said, oh, your baby will be so much more loved by someone else or have a better life, which probably mm-hmm. meant had more money or more security right. or whatever. Yeah. Right. They uh, were sold that idea that you're poor or you're unwed, your mm-hmm. baby needs a family, mm-hmm. a mother and a father. Let's, you know, be clear what they were selling back then. You know, we're just yeah. going to go ahead and say For that sure. because sure. we need to. That's what it was. That's the truth. Mm-hmm. And usually it was wealthier people. Mm-hmm. And they just told these mothers that the child would have a better life. Yeah. And that was the word better. Uh-huh. It was never better. It was different. different. Right. Different. There's a stigma that people put on uh, the birth family that, of course, it would be better with an adoptive family because whatever was happening with the birth family to necessitate a relinquishment, that must have been really messed up. Mm-hmm. But that's a big assumption. And right. we don't know, you know, what would have happened. What if we would put that money that we just spent on the adoption and with the agencies and all that, what if we put that money toward that birth family, you know, helping them with childcare, helping them with uh, food and housing and propping them up? Yes. Maybe they would have been just yes. fine. Maybe right. they need help with addiction or maybe they need help with mental health, but those things can be worked on, right? And they're usually temporary. Yes, temporary. And we're making a permanent solution right. for a temporary problem. Yeah. And adoption, when I say I'm against adoption, I'm talking about the legal uh-huh. contract of uh-huh. adoption of when a child that has no consent without their will, or yeah. <laughs> without their consent, uh-huh. they're put into a lifelong contract. Uh-huh. Changing their name. Yes, they're severed from their heritage, from their family, sometimes their countries. And that isn't right. I think that adoption itself needs to be changed into like guardianship and other things, like what other countries have done. We can follow suit. Because there will always be some parents that really are unable to take care of their children or they're gone or whatever, uh, for whatever reason. So there will always be a need for guardianship, but we don't need to be wiping out their birth certificate and, you know, completely changing everything and taking them away. Like Mm -hmm. I did, my son was born in Japan. We took him to a whole different country, took away his language, took away his heritage and plopped him into a really white community. Caused Mm -hmm. so many problems. And so uh, and you weren't told that, were you? Oh, no. No, you weren't. They did say to adopt from Japan, one of the parents had to be Japanese. And my ex-husband is Japanese-American, but he was so assimilated. I spoke more Japanese when we went over there to get him. I was the one who used chopsticks for crying out loud. The, the waiters would give me a fork and him the chopsticks. I'm like, nope. Give me the chopsticks. <laughs> he doesn't know how to use them. So, I mean, he was japanese genetically, but not very Japanese as far as culturally. So we didn't really do a great job of keeping those cultural ties. But yeah, they said, okay, as long as one of you is Japanese, we're good to go. You know, no one will ever know the difference. And in fact, when Joe was about two, we had a sign off on a document called a Koseki for Joey's birth mother. And from what I understand, it's like a big birth certificate that follows you for your whole life. And so it includes your college and includes marriages and children and all that. But we had to sign Joey's name off of his birth mother's koseki. Otherwise, she would not have been able to marry or go to a good college or whatever. It was like this 
old-fashioned kind of a, a stain on her record that we had to expunge. Oh. It was terrible. I felt so bad yeah. doing that. I hadn't heard that. Yeah. Thank you for talking. It was really tragic. I often think of her and think, God, I uh, I hope she's okay. You know, I have no idea. It was a closed adoption. But right. just there's so much pain on all sides, for sure. Yeah. The secrets and lies, it's, it's hard to be whole. Yeah. And that's why I teach yoga. That's the reason why is because I had to be whole. And that was one of the tools that I used to become whole. Wow. Because I had a big toolbox. When I was younger, I didn't have that toolbox because I didn't have a language to ask for the tools. (laughs) No, when you grew up, what was your adoptive family like? Did they give you any tools? I was an adopted only child too. Okay. And they were just told blank slate. Just take her home. Pretend that she's yours like a regular. Basically, that was it. And that's what they did. So they weren't mean or anything, just a little uninformed, maybe? Yes, it was not intentional. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Now, I would have thought later in life when I started having problems and there were books out at that time, Mm -hmm. maybe someone would have picked up a book Uh, (laughs) or something. My mother read like literally every day, romance novels, Uh uh (laughs) you know, whatever. We all have something. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That was that was her escape. Okay. But, you know, I looking back now, it's like it screamed at them, but Ah. they just didn't see it. What were the problems that presented? Did it happen when you were a teen or? Suicidal attempt, lots of alcohol, drugs, Mm -hmm. addiction. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess, honestly, I don't know if I truly had an addiction because anything I did, I stopped and just walked away from it when I was done with it. So I I was a little bit different than most adoptees Ah. because most adoptees do have addictions, many different types of addictions. Number one usually is alcohol. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, my son struggled with drugs and alcohol for sure. He, he kind of has that addictive personality. He would get addicted to just pretty much anything, <laughs> you know, any sort of adventurous, risky behavior. He's all over it. Right. Um, and that's very common with adoptees, uh, like really common. It is. So you experimented, though, it sounds like you just tried lots of different things. Yes. And I, and I probably uh used alcohol as a numbing coping mechanism for a good portion of my life, you know, probably into my forties. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I eventually just went, eh, I don't want to do it anymore. Okay. <laughs> so oh, it wasn't it. working for you. Okay. Okay. And are you still in relationship with your adoptive parents? Are they still around? Or? No, they're not here. They okay. passed okay. Uh, my adoptive father in 99, my adopted mother in 2007. Oh, a while ago. Okay. Sorry about that. Mm-hmm. Have you been in reunion at all with your birth family? Yes. I found my birth mother's obituary in 2019. Oh, so you knew her name? I knew her name from a non-identifying search in 95, 1995, when the state of Tennessee allowed me to have access to my birth records. Well, isn't that nice of them? Yeah, I know. I had to (laughs) send a letter (laughs) and ask if I could, you know, find out things about my family. Wow. (laughs) And they said, sure, you know, you send us, I think at that time it was like $125 or something and 10 cents each piece of paper. Oh, no. And that they would do a search. And I was in college and living on my own. And I was like, you want me to send how much? Oh, my gosh. I mean, it might have been, you know, thousands of dollars. Yeah, for So I had to... I had to send this letter and show them that I was hardship and didn't have the money. So they reduced it, I think, to $50 for me. That's still a lot to get information you deserve to have anyway. My birth certificate. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's humiliating the things that adoptees have to go through. It is. Just to find out 
their family health history, anything about them, Mm. why they have blue eyes or red hair like me. I just wanted somebody I looked like because that's the thing when you grow up in an adoptive family, you don't have genetic mirroring. Yes, that's so important. My wife just recently found her niece through DNA. Her brother didn't realize that he had a kid. And so now my wife has this wonderful niece and she reunited with my wife's family. And oh my God, she's like a twin to Jan's other sister. And she is giddy about it. It was so (laughs) neat to watch. We finally met this woman for the first time last week. She was just like, oh my gosh, people that look like me and act like me. And she said, it is, it's just filled in a whole bunch of blanks for her. It was fascinating to watch. It is. That's why I'm trying to say you can't be whole without those pieces. And people don't understand that babies aren't blank slates. That separation of an infant from its mother is trauma that's pre-verbal that goes into that infant. And it is trapped there until that child can get into its psyche and understand what happened and deal with it. And some people never do. Other people do it earlier. Other people do it later. Yeah. And some people, it's too late. They it's, And sometimes it's just too late. Yeah. yeah. I think some people think, oh, it happened when you were so little. I had a psychiatrist tell me this about Joey. I was saying, can you please help him with his attachment issues? He was adopted. And she goes, oh, he was too little. He didn't know. But in a way, isn't it? It impacts you more when you're pre-verbal right. because right. you have no way to process it. And this little baby's like, what the hell's going on? I, ah. I have no idea what's going on. Yeah. And so it lodges in your body is what I understand with trauma, right? Yes. And that's what it does with trauma. It's, it's like an energetic shock to your cells. It's like, boom, you know, Mm -hmm. and your cells just kind of shatter for things that are truly traumatic. Mm -hmm. And for an infant being separated from its mother, the only thing it has known and waited nine months to be with in like the baby scoop era, lots of times we never even got held, touched by our mothers. Yeah. And I mean, they still do that to this day. They'll have the adoptive parents in the room, basically snatching the baby. And that is horrifying. We don't do that with dogs. You know, no. we leave a dog with its mother <sighs> for what? Weeks, six, weeks. Yeah. You wouldn't consider taking a little puppy away. No. Oh, it just. But it oh. is because it is a billion dollar a year industry. And also we have to say it, that some people don't want to hear that because they want to build their family the way they want to build their family. And they haven't dealt with their own traumas. And that's the true key is we all have to deal with our own traumas before we inflict trauma on others. Because we're responsible. We're the responsible party. I am just now dealing with my grief from my infertility. Because when it became clear that it was going to be really, really difficult to become pregnant, we switched to adoption and then it happened very quickly. Like boom, 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 boom. Then we had Joey and there was no time or space to deal with, oh my God, I'm never going to have a child that looks like me or that I birthed. Although honestly, I'm really not that sad that I missed that part. I'm pretty happy about it. I never had kids. So. <laughs> uh, I'm like, okay, I, uh, I don't think Mm-mm. that sounds very fun. But yeah, I am dealing with that grief. There is grief there. And I never dealt with that. And instead I just went and got Joey and, you know, it's impossible for one child to replace another child. And you put that on, it's just, it's just a big mess. Same thing with my, my mother had a forced hysterectomy, so she couldn't have children. (gasps) And uh, that was, yeah. Why was it forced? My mother had been married prior to my adopted father. So this was not my adopted father. Okay. 
the man she'd been married to before, she went in for gallbladder operation. And while she was having a gallbladder operation at the time, her husband said, I want her to have a hysterectomy. I don't want children. And it was legal to do then. What? I mean, women still can't get a hysterectomy yeah. when they want. They now, have to get permission. Even if they're in pain, they have to have permission or they have to have had so many children. They have to be so many age. So, yes, oh, we still don't goodness. have control over our own bodies. But at that time, the man had control over the woman's oh, body. And we're getting ready to go back there. Yeah, I'm super scared <laughs> yeah. about what's so happening. So that's what I'm talking about. People don't realize that this can happen, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's so while she was under anesthesia, Ugh. this happened to her. Oh, my God. Not let that happen. We are not going back there. No, that's horrible. Oh, my God. Yes. I feel so bad for your mother. So that was her trauma. Mm. She was traumatized. Sure. Lovely woman. Yeah. Beautiful heart. Traumatized. Totally. Yeah. And she never dealt with that. Mm. She just got me. And then, oh, and here's here's another thing that traumatized me, but they thought was beautiful is the story of how they got me. They had a phone call. They were waiting for a baby boy. Oh. And they got a phone call and they said, well, there's a girl available. You want that one? And they said, sure, we'll take that one. See, I wasn't chosen. I was just the phone call oh. and what they got. But they thought that that was just great. Oh. <laughs> and I was sitting there as a kid going, okay, one first choice, one second choice. Oh. Yeah, third, third choice. Is that what I was? Oh, yeah, that just makes me so sad. That's what the child heard. Sure. <laughs> but they thought it was great because, hey, there was a girl available. As a kid, I thought there was just a room full of kids that people got phone calls oh. and we were just removed from our family and handed off. Oh. And then I was told it was God's will. Oh, and then yes. you really had to shut up because if you said anything, whoo. Yeah, there's a lot of evangelical Christians do adoption and they it, like God wants these babies to be growing mm -hmm. up in a Christian home. And it's kind of like missionaries kind of, you know, it's kind of like yes. evangelism by bringing these children, especially from other countries, uh, taking them away from the heathen countries and bringing them here and raising them as Christians. You're doing God's will and it's all sanctioned. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And that one really shuts a child down because oh, then you have a supreme being yeah. that knows everything. You don't everything. want to mess with that. Oh, dear. No. And, and I'll be honest, as a child, I hated God because I was like, why is he being so mean to me? Why does he hate me? Why won't he let me know who my family is? Oh, wow. And I had all that inside of me as a kid because that I was dealing with on my own. Because uh, you didn't want to hurt your family. Right. Were you a pretty compliant kid? It was quiet. Yeah. I just didn't say anything. Okay. And then it came out when you were a little older. When I was 18, I just went the opposite way and started drinking, started partying. Okay. I cut out with them much earlier. I would say I probably cut out with them probably 13, 14. Okay. With my adopted parents. And I was not in the adoptive parents that had money. Oh. My adopted parents were poor. Oh. They both worked. All the time. Okay. And my dad, when he came home, he would drink. Oh. He was a veteran. I'm just going to say that. That's a lot of trauma. Right. He had his own traumas and he, he wasn't a cruel drunk or anything. Mm -hmm. He just came home and he zoned out. Yeah, he's gone. Some people zone out in front of TV. He used his alcohol. Okay. Mm -hmm. It just was what it was. He did it all of his life. He never dealt with his traumas either. Yeah. So they were and, not really there for you as a teen and... As you mm -mm. were trying to figure out who you were. They so. didn't know what to do. Yeah. They had no clue. Yeah. yeah. And they didn't ever connect it to adoption. 
because it sure. couldn't be that. Yeah, because what's the difference? You just take one baby and, you know. Give it to somebody and then everything's fine. fine Why fine, would anything fine, be wrong? Fine. Yeah. <laughs> That was that that era. Gosh, I hope we're getting better about that. Oh. Well, that's why we're talking, right? Yeah, that's what that's our point why is. We right? do this. That's why we do this. We bear our souls so other people can learn. Right. That's because there's not judgment and shame, and that's no. what is so important about this. Is we're not having a conversation to shame one another, judge one another. We're healing in community. Absolutely. That's what we have to keep talking. Absolutely. So to go back to that shame and secrets. Mm-hmm. My birth mother would never meet me. Oh. In 1995, when the state of Tennessee did a search, and um, then they just sent uh, me this non-identifying information, but it happened to have her name on it. So I think either somebody went, well, let's just go ahead and do this, or... I, I don't know, yeah. but it had yeah. her name on it. That's identifying information. That's <laughs> identifying. But they also included the non-identifying information, and it did not have my birth father's name on it. Oh, okay. It had his non-identifying and his parents non-identifying. Like race and age and location. Yes. That's religion, a college. Yes, because okay. they were both in college. I found out they both went to the University of South Carolina huh. and they did what college students did. Yeah, They were uh, 19 and 20, I think, when I would have been conceived okay. and then 2021 20, when I was born. And he was sent to Vietnam. Oh, okay. So okay. that's where they ended because oh, okay. he was sent to another country. She had me, she got rid of me. And then that was it for her. She oh. acted like I never existed oh, again. Okay. Wow. And the state tried to connect with her and she said no. And she ignored it all. I, Cause later in 2020, when I finally said, Hey, you got anything else in those files? And then they made me pay again, ah, no again, way. $150 this time. And I had too much money this time. So I had to pay it all. Shoot. <laughs> oh, and I had to sign a contract too. I, I have to say this because people need to understand what adoptees go through. I had to sign a piece of paper that said, if we give you this information, you cannot contact any of these people. And there was a list. And it was basically my mother, my father, my siblings, my aunts, my cousins, oh. anybody that had my DNA. I couldn't contact no them. Kidding. Well, I had already found my maternal siblings. Oh, okay. And I honestly, at this time, I didn't think I was going to find my father because I had written letters and things to him, mm-hmm. to the man I thought was him mm-hmm. and had not heard back. Okay. So I signed it. I said, oh, well, they'll charge me with a misdemeanor okay, yeah, and okay. I'll have to pay money and I may go to jail. Yeah. Okay. And that's what it wow. said. Wow. I may go to jail. Wow. I'll, I'll be fine. And I thought, whatever, <laughs> come get me. <laughs> so I signed it. Oh man. Well, lo and behold, I did happen to find my biological father after that. So I have one month that they can still arrest me. Really? You have one month and then? Because the state of Tennessee did in that time change the law and it goes into effect in July of this year. So I could have been arrested this whole time because of that contract. That's hovering over you all the time. Or wanting my own information. That is horrible. That's just horrible on so many levels. I'm so sorry. It's a human rights violation. Adoption, lots of it are human rights violations. Absolutely. Can you imagine as a bio child, I can't imagine having to pay for that information and and having to promise. Twice. Yeah, twice. And okay, they give you the information and say, don't contact them. Well, what the hell? Why would you want the information if you didn't want to contact them? What's the whole yeah, point? It's oh, cruel. It's terrible. It's just cruel. It's terrible. So I'm sorry, I had to, I had to throw that no, in there. It's good for us to know these things. So when I got the information, the non-identifying, I had her name. And it just so happened that adoptive cousin of mine, that was the exact same age as my birth mother, because I was a late, late in life child. Okay. My parents got me. Oh, okay. So 
it's like my first cousins are like my parents oh, were, okay. would be the age of a parent, like okay. 20 years older than me. Gotcha. And my first cousin was 20 years older than me. Okay. She was in Richmond, Virginia and happened to find her because we knew who she was. We knew where she was. She owned her own business. So it wasn't like she was really hard to find at that time, pre-internet and, you know, yeah. everything and social media. But she did find her and she said that she would get a restraining order if I even tried to find her. And she didn't want her husband or her daughters to know. No, so the whole thing was a secret, secret, secret. Yeah. Well, it come to find out later when I did find my siblings, my sisters, her husband at the time, their father had been dead for four years. Oh. So he wasn't even in the picture. Mm. She was only keeping me from my sisters. Oh, wow. And in the letters, when I got the whole packet in 2020, they even talked to my grandmother. I would have had a chance to have met my grandmother and I could have known my mother, but both of them ignored me. So I was, and now I'm being ignored by one of those sisters Mm. that I met. So I have three generations of females, my biological family that have rejected me or ignored me my whole entire life. And I had to become whole again. Definitely. But you have one bio sister that is still in touch? Does talk to me. Yes. Yes. Well, that's good. And we are working on a relationship. You know, Uh, she's, she doesn't blame me for being born, you know, and and has empathy and understanding. That's good. So you can get a little health information from her and a little bit of connection about, oh man, how painful that the rest of them. Oh, and my, my birth mother had breast cancer twice and never told me. And she had it for years. That would be good to know. That was something I really, really needed to know. I'm not going to go all into my health history right now. It's going to take too long, but that would have been a good thing to have known Yes, a long time ago. What is that like to go to the doctor and say, what's your grandparents' history of da, 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 da. How does that feel when you go to that? Oh, honey, I have done videos on TikTok and stuff on that because that is, it's trauma. It's every every time time. you go in there and you can't sign that. I've had doctors roll their eyes at me like it was my fault. And I'm even like, yeah, no shit. (laughs) I wish I could have that information. Uh, Really? I mean, it's like, oh, I'm sorry. We should get the laws changed, you think? Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then and then I've had some that have been very you know empathetic and you know I'm really sorry about that or they'll say I know someone was like that and they've had the same issues and mm-hmm. I feel horrible you know and then they just go on yeah. or some just go I'm very sorry and just go on okay. don't say a word and I'm like cool we're just moving on moving on oh man <laughs> so you've held all this trauma you said it was only pretty recently that you've kind of found ways to deal with it is that true you, you kind of struggled until you're in your 40s or something like that. Well, yeah, I I have found out now through just reading and studying and I became a Kundalini yoga instructor and a Reiki master. So I have training also, but just my own reading. I studied psychology, philosophy, religion, spirituality, physics, just all sorts of things that work with energy, Mm -hmm. thoughts, just everything. And what I've come to realize, whether you're doing young or Christianity or shamanism, they all have an underlying theme of we're energy beings in this physical form. Mm -hmm. All of them do. Uh (laughs) All of them Mm -hmm. do. (laughs) Some people just don't hear that, but all of them say that, Mm -hmm. especially Jesus Christ. He ascended. He told us. I'm an energy being. Look, I ascend. 
And he went and did, well, a lot of people will debate this, but when he was gone, they believed that he studied Buddhism and Hindu and stuff because he came back and he was doing miracles like the the yogis and the gurus and stuff. So it makes sense that he went and he healed people and he came back and healed people, which was what the yogi way was, is showing you how to heal yourself. Mm -hmm. He was a healer. He came back and was showing people how to heal themselves. So when people say that, you know, yoga is against Christianity, mm, I I would debate that. Yeah, I think that's (laughs) hilarious. You know, schools refuse to use yoga in their gym class or whatever because it's religious. I'm like, no, it's not. No, it's it's not. It's It's, universal truth, right? It's like. Right. It goes back thousands of years. And at that time, people understood these energy bodies, these chakras and the different, the nadis, the different meridians and things in the mm-hmm. body. And they paid attention to them. That's what Kundalini yoga is, a yoga of awareness. Okay. That's what Kundalini means? Yes. It's the yoga of awareness. Uh-huh. And we use breath work, meditation, and movement, all three, uh-huh. to integrate everything, the physical form, the energetic body, uh-huh. and your, your spiritual being uh-huh. all into one. Uh-huh. So you're actually changing your cellular level really? into just being open to what feelings are. And they are feelings. Uh-huh. You learn to flow, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, instead of fighting the tide, uh-huh. you uh-huh. learn to flow. If you feel angry, that's an okay feeling. Oh. You're probably feeling angry for a reason, and it's probably a very normal feeling that you're feeling uh-huh. right now. So Kundalini Yoga would say, feel it even deeper and go through it, right? Right. right. Okay. Except that is that is a normal feeling. Like they say, you're an angry adoptee, and I'm like, yes, I am, mm-hmm. because that is a normal feeling to this abnormal experience that I am having. Yeah. yeah. For sure. <laughs> it's like, yes, that's normal. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I know so because my therapist told me. <laughs> yeah, I have proof right here. <laughs> so Kundalini Yoga, I, I'm not, you know, I've done yoga. I, I know about the poses and stuff, but it seems like Kundalini Yoga is more than just the poses and looking cute in those little pants and, you know, yes. all that. Is that. Tell us the different kinds of yoga. Well, Hatha Yoga is the one that you're talking about in the cute pants. Okay. <laughs> And, and Hatha yoga is a wonderful yoga. Oh, I'm, that's great. It's, it, it's focused more on the movement. Okay. It's, it's going to make you bendy and stretchy. Okay. And that's great because your body does need that. Uh-huh. That's more of a somatic experience. Mm-hmm. And Kundalini does that too. You're going to be moving also, mm-hmm. but I'm going to have you focusing on the breath. Like you're usually going to have your Kundalini, most of it's done with your eyes closed and you're focusing on your third eye. Okay. So you're literally going inward and Every one of the movements is a moving meditation because you're focusing on the breath and that third eye. So when you're breathing, you're like, and you're focusing oh. with your eyes closed and uh, then you're doing a movement with it. Okay. And that's working all of the energetic negativity out and bringing in that positive energy. And like, I will talk about our chakras. I'll have you visualize that. Each instructor has their own niche. Mm -hmm. I like to talk about chakras and which one we're working on at different things. I also talk about just the pure physiology. I'm like, you're working your liver right now. You're pumping toxins from your kidney. You know, we're expanding our lung capacity Uh right now. So Uh I talk about it 
in both aspects, you know, uh-huh. you get a little Sanskrit and you get a just normal, this is how you're moving your body right now. And this is what it's doing. Nice, nice, <laughs> nice. Oh, that's so great. Is it always breathing that quickly like you just demonstrated? No, sometimes it's slower, but uh, there is a breath of fire, which is much faster. It's uh-huh. and that's uh-huh. working your solar plexus, which is right above your belly button. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You cannot move trauma from your body with a weak core impossible. Oh, interesting. When they say your gut's a bigger brain than yep. your brain, that's true. Oh. That's your solar plexus. That's your personal seat of power. Oh. And if it is weak, oh. so is your ability to cope with stressors and trauma oh. and just daily toxins. Wow. And I wonder how many traumatized people overeat or don't mm-hmm. exercise or don't kind of take that power on themselves and just kind of stay stuck. Mm. That's what happens. That's how the trauma stays stuck. And cognitive therapy is great because you do need to talk about it. That's important. But unless you're moving it out also, it's just going to stay there. And that's one of the issues, especially in the United States, everybody's too stationary. They just sit there. And that's a trauma in and of itself, yeah, not moving. We're not meant to be like that, for sure. No, we're not meant to be behind screens 40 hours a week, you yeah. know, doing the same grind over and over and over again. You're only supposed to be sitting still for about two hours max. Really? And then you've got to get up for about 30 minutes. Wow. Move, move, 30 move. minutes of a walk outside a day, every day, or at least five days a week, they have scientific proof uh, that it changes people's mental outlook. Ah, wow, really? I know for me, I, I have struggled with depression my whole life, but I have to get my heart rate up for 10 or 15 minutes a day or else I spiral down pretty dang quickly. Uh, mm-hmm. That movement is so important. And it does not come naturally to me. I am very grateful that we have horses because it forces me to go out and clean the corrals. Oh, or, amazing. Yeah, and the equine therapy too part. <laughs> but mm. yeah, just the chores that I have to do. Otherwise, I would never get out. I'd have to really force myself because I'm not naturally kind of an outdoorsy athletic person. I'm, I'm kind of like play the piano, read books and nowadays sit on the computer kind of person. So, but that's so important. And there, there's that really important book, the body keeps the score by Bethel Vandercork. And Mm -hmm. I learned so much in that book about trauma that it's not in our mind. That's where I like to think of everything is in my mind. I could live just with my neck up, but it's in our body, which means Mm -hmm. these bodily somatic experiences are so important. And, and uh, I I don't want to deal with it in my body. I want to deal with it in my head. That's so Mm -hmm. hard. And he talked about yoga in that book. Does he? he Yes. He talked about the yoga and then like dance therapy and uh, things like that. Yeah. The animals, like you mentioned, are another. Oh, that, yeah. All these things are our tools that, yeah. that you and I are talking about. These are tools like the equine is a great yeah. therapy. Having a dog. Dogs that's what great. I do. I take my dog for a walk every day. That is actually a tool in my toolbox. Yeah. It helps the dog. It helps yeah, me. Yeah, you get two for one. <laughs> yeah, and our energetic <laughs> fields are going together uh-huh. and dogs are pure love. Oh, yeah. Oh, dogs are the best. <laughs> and that creativity part of it is another a very important outlet, especially for adoptees. Uh, we need some kind of creative outlet. It's another important tool. Mm-hmm. And here's another one I'm going to share with you. I go to, they have these uh, like rage rooms 
Oh, yeah. Where you can just go smash stuff. Your son might be too young for this, but someone in my category, <laughs> you know, a little bit older. I told my therapist about these rage rooms when they first came here a few years back. And she goes, that's genius. She was like, go smash things. And you do. You just go in there and just smash things oh and just gosh. let it out for about an hour. That's You're awesome. You're going to be sore the next day. Yeah, yeah. I know they must have those around here because we live in a big city. I do that yeah. with my drumming. I play taiko, the yes. Japanese drums. And if I have had a really rough day, I picture somebody's face on the middle of my drum yeah. that I'm mad at or frustrated by <laughs> and poof, it goes away. It's so great. It's very cathartic. Yeah. That physical Ah. Yes. Oh, it's so good. And, and and yoga isn't the only thing I do. That's important for people to know is, is have several things mm-hmm. you enjoy doing and mix it yeah. up. If somebody's telling you only do one thing and do it the way they're doing it, it's probably for their benefit, uh, and not your benefit. Yeah, so yeah. be careful with that. So what else do you do? I, you do Reiki, I know. Uh, yeah. And um, yeah. And that helps when I'm working with other people's energy. Mm-hmm. I also do... Um, Oculus. I don't know if you've seen the VR headsets. Oh, yeah. I do this workout called Supernatural, and they've got any kind of music you can imagine, and there's boxing, and you you hit these balloons. By the end of it, I mean, 20 minutes in there, and you're just like a sweating mess. Oh, my God. And you feel, and they put you in these beautiful sceneries, and you can be boxing or hitting these things. You can be on Mars. You can be in, oh the, in the top of a mountaintop, but just the visuals and because you really take yourself out of this reality uh-huh. and go uh-huh. into a different one and uh-huh. you come back out of it, a sweaty mess. And you're like, yeah, I can do this today. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's so fun. I've never heard of people doing that, especially for a therapeutic one. purpose. That's awesome. What a great idea. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. so great. Are there any other tools that you like to use? Oh my gosh. Essential oils and crystals. I enjoy those. Uh, some people say they're, you know, they do indeed have physical, like uh, some crystals do have energy. Well, we know quartz because they're in our computers. Uh-huh. <laughs> the ones we're looking at right now, yeah. you know, yeah. we have quartz in that they do have energy properties. I enjoy that. I make like gym water and use it. I can feel the energy. I even put my water outside under like new moons uh-huh. and special things like that uh-huh. to energize it. So honestly, all of the tools, when we're talking about stuff in our head, mm-hmm. this is in our head. Uh, this, this is our placebo uh-huh. that is making us better. Yeah. And isn't that fascinating that we can placebo our way into health? Yeah, it doesn't matter if I it's placebo or not. If it works, <laughs> fine. It's great. Yes. Well, in the book, The Body Keeps the Score, when they did the initial trial test on Prozac and EMDR and placebo... Prozac and placebo were only five points difference. So Prozac is basically a placebo too, but unfortunately it does chemically change the, your brain. Yeah. Yeah. And EMDR was better than both of them by far. Oh, that's awesome. Have you ever done EMDR? Yes, I have. Uh And um, Emma and I, that you talked about, Uh we talk about EMDR a lot. Actually, she was the one that was like, well, you know, meditation's another form of EMDR, Lorraine. And I, Uh and I was like, boom, Emma. You just just gave me one of those aha moments. I suppose, yeah. You're just trying to reach your kind of your subconscious layer in both of those arenas. That's interesting. 
And that's why adoptees talking to each other are important. Really important. There's so many ways uh, nowadays on the internet to find other adoptees. And are you with Adoptees Connect? Well, there is an Adoptees Connect here in Tulsa, and we worked with them recently when we brought the movie yeah. uh, Reckoning with the Primal Wound yes. to the Circle Cinema. So we worked with them. And I've raised money for Adoptees Connect when I did a t-shirt contest for adoptees. Oh. I do things like that all the time just to get adoptees involved. I have adoptee-only yoga next Wednesday. Day. Oh, adoptee uh, only yoga. Yeah. Wow. So we do a, a Kundalini set for 40 minutes and then we sit around and talk for about <gasps> another 40 minutes. Wow. That sounds amazing. Yeah. So you do yoga online. Yes, I do Zoom classes. I have people that come to my classes from all over the world. That's so amazing. I mean, <laughs> I know, Zoom is horrible, that. but it's amazing. So <laughs> We'll just try to make lemonade out of it, right? Well, that's what yoga is for. It's teaching you that balance. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Take the good with the bad. Wow. That must be really powerful to have a bunch of adoptees working their bodies and minds Mm. together and then talking about it. Does does it sometimes get pretty deep and heavy afterwards or is it... Reuse is really good. Yeah, There's amazing. usually I think I've had nine, ten in the two classes. This will be my third one, so I'm hoping to have another ten. Hopefully, okay. maybe we'll have more. But that's always a good group because everybody gets to go around, kind of introduce uh-huh. themselves, say where they're at, what they felt, if anything changed, uh-huh. or or they just can talk their story. Yeah. We just kind of let it be open. Yeah. And then, we just kind of sign off and yeah. we usually all follow each other on social media right. after that, yeah. if they are, because yeah. most of them usually are. Uh-huh. And it's just a lovely evening. That might be for some of them. I don't know. It might be their only chance to talk to their adoptees in, in a structured format. Yeah. That's pretty It neat. is. Some of them it is. And some of them have never done yoga before. And Kundalini is a perfect yoga for a beginner because it is focusing on the breath. Okay. If you can't move, I keep say I always tell you just breathe. Yeah. Just do the breath. Follow the nose. Uh-huh. You know, you know, do the breath, or if it's through your mouth, whichever breath I'm teaching uh-huh. you at the moment. Uh-huh. Follow that. You don't have to move. Even if you're completely paralyzed, you can still do the breath part of it. Yes. When I had my hysterectomy, obviously I couldn't do yoga uh-huh. afterwards, you know. Oh, wow. So so it took me about a month before I could actually do the physical part, but I sat and I just sat up in a chair and I did my breath work. I would do my four count breath with my fingers Uh and, Uh and just focused and meditated and did that. And I didn't need uh, pain pills. So (gasps) really? Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, I have adverse reactions to a lot of pharmaceuticals. Uh, So you try to stay away from them. They make me sick and Uh, make it worse. So, and in the hospital, I'd already gotten sick and Oh, okay. <laughs> when they were giving the morphine to me, oh, I threw it up. No way. Oh, dang yeah. It. So I was like, yeah, stop giving me that. And we're just going to breathe through take it. it from here. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so can you tell us in words what yoga has done for you? You know, how has it helped you specifically with your trauma or with your just your overall well-being? It is like I like I said, it is my Prozac. It's the thing that I know I have to do uh-huh. at least probably four times a week, five times is better. Uh-huh. You know, if I can do it every single day, seven days, at least 15 minutes, 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Kundalini is going to move a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. That's why I do 45 minute classes and not an hour oh. because you might get nauseous okay. and start because it might detox you a little too fast. And that's why I backed it off because mine is purely focused on trauma mostly. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Again, I'll have days where I'll focus on our solar plexus or something like that. 
or a root chakra, because most adoptees really need to work on the root chakra. Mm -hmm. And uh, I do a lot of root work. So without yoga, I can tell, just like you said, you can tell if you don't do some kind of exercise, you can tell that's how I am. I have to do it. It's something that I just know that this is a part of my life. People go on these diets and they go, oh, for eight weeks, I'm just Mm. not going to eat this. And then I'm just going to be fine and go back to my normal life again. Mm. No, 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 no. No. It's a lifestyle change. You're taking out the bad things Mm -hmm. and we're letting them go now Mm -hmm. because they no longer serve us. Mm -hmm. We don't need them. We're moving forward with these new tools, this new energetic body, our new thoughts Mm -hmm. and our new just our new wholeness because uh-huh. we're going to become whole this way and we're going to move forward with this. It's not always going to be linear. Unfortunately, healing yeah. is not always linear. And when those waves come crashing down on us, we're going to have these tools there and we're going to know that we're going to come back up yeah. and that wave hits. Yeah. We're not, we know that we're not going to stay down there. Yeah. And that's what the trauma and depression keeps. Like it pushes us down and we don't think we're going to ever make it back up. Yeah. That's what yoga does for me. I know when I get swept under that I'm going to come back up. I may have to crawl in bed for a day or three, Uh whatever Uh it is, but I know I'm going to swim back out of this. I just have to let this flow through me. And that's what yoga is. Let that wave go over the top of you and and come out the other side. Wow. Mm -hmm. Well, I am so glad you found such an amazing tool that works and it, it, doesn't involve, you know, foreign substances. It doesn't involve like going to exotic places. You just do it wherever you are. You can do it any, practically any time, right? Just, a lot yeah. of it's just the breath. Yeah. And now the breath work, you can go other places. <laughs> You've heard of Wim Hof probably and oh, yeah. maybe holotropic breathing. Oh yeah. I've done that. That's psychedelics. It yeah. is like psychedelics just with yeah. your own breath. It's amazing. Yeah. And psychedelics have their place too. I believe that that study, I'm uh-huh. really hoping that that study continues because they've been doing that study for a long time. They've just held it from yeah. us. Yeah. The uh, FDA is pushing it back. Yeah. But it's coming. It's coming. The psychedelics are coming around the corner. That's coming yeah. along. Yeah. But this breath can do that same work because it can hit that DMT, you know, the pineal gland yeah. and things like that. It's, it's the same thing. Again, these are all connected. All of these things are connected. They're just using different language. Yeah. Different ways to get to the same thing, that, that core uh, base of your brain, right? Where all the right. trauma is stored and where mm-hmm. the unspoken mm-hmm. things are, are stuck in there. Yeah. Right. Well, boy, thank you for sharing all that. I really think you're doing really great work. If people want to join your yoga classes or read your blog or whatever, how do they find you? They just go to my name and it's lareygerald.com. My class schedule's on there. My blogs are on there. I have wellness tips on there. I even have links to my protein powders that I use. You can get a Uh discount. And I'm adding an adoptee resource page and I'm going to go work on that today. So Uh I have found, uh, because we were talking about therapists earlier, and that is something that is really Uh hard when sometimes not, is getting connected with the wrong therapist because they're biased and they don't see adoption as trauma. So I've been working on that right now too, is trying to find that. And I finally did. And I found it right here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I found someone that does adoptee competent therapist training right here in Oklahoma. And I will be sharing all of that on my LaraeGerald.com website. Oh, that's great. Great to share those resources. On social media, you're the Adopted Chameleon. Adopted Chameleon, yes. yes. The Adopted Chameleon on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, <laughs> Pinterest. <laughs> and the Chameleon because you change for whatever people want you to be. Is that yes. where that comes from? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I thought that I was original in that. And one of the very, 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 very first adoptee group Zoom meeting I was in, I want I want I believe it was Adoption Mosaic a few years back. And one of the people had a chameleon on her book uh-huh. cover. And I went, oh my God. And then they were using the, the ghost kingdom language and alien and all those terms that I thought oh. I had made up in my mind. Oh, wow. You know, That's a common experience for adoptees. I found our language. To have to mask themselves. Ah, wow. Mm-hmm. Well, you are helping so many. I know that my son will enjoy hearing this and anyone that's got any adoptees in their life. And Heck, even anyone with just regular old trauma mm-hmm. can understand and relate to all of these tools that you're offering us and connect with your your beautiful soul that's trying to help other people. So thank you. Yes, my Sunday and Tuesday classes are for anybody. Okay. And and anybody can come and try it. It's donation based. So you don't even have to pay to try it. I just want people to try it so that they'll experience it uh-huh. and maybe continue doing it. Okay. Because I know adoptees, especially, we have to pay for a lot of therapy and it gets very expensive. So this is something you can do for free. And anybody, not adoptees, anybody in the triad, anybody with trauma, because let's face it, most of us have some kind of trauma. Yeah, it's hard to get through this life without something going on. Try it for free. Just try it for free. That's really great. I hope a lot of people take you up on that and uh, use these resources and use these tools to help us all have a more fulfilling and more balanced and more healthy, healthy life. So we can all help each other get through this thing. (laughs) Well, we do have to focus and heal ourselves. And I say this in my class, I go, when we heal ourselves, we heal the world. (laughs) Yes. One one person at a time, right? We each have to look at ourselves. It's easy to look at the world and get overwhelmed, but all we got to do is look inward. What we can control is what we have right here within ourselves. So, well, thank you, Lorraine. You're amazing. I love what you're doing. Thank you you for being here on Safe Home. Don't forget everybody who's listening, please share this episode with anyone you know who might be in an adopted situation or an adoptive parent. These stories are so important for us to share and find Safe Home on all the social media. We are also on Patreon if you're interested in contributing a a small amount every month to Patreon so we can continue our commercial-free podcast. And I also do other events and things throughout the month. So patreon.com slash safe home. I also have an email list and a website, safehomefamilies.com. So find us all of those places and keep in touch. So thank you everyone for listening. And Lorraine and I want you to stay stay safe. safe.